Hello, TonkoCast listeners. I'm Mike Dutton. I'm an art director here at Tonko House. For this edition of the TonkoCast, I was invited to interview two incredible storytellers that I've had the joy of working with for the past couple of years. They are Alex Wu and Stanley Moore, co-founders of Cuckoo Studios. Alex and Stanley both come from Pixar, where Alex was a story lead and worked on films such as Ratatouille, WALL-E, Finding Dory, and The Good Dinosaur. Stanley was a story artist on Finding Dory and Monster University, and also animated on the Oscar-winning short, The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lessmore. Alex and Stanley are the creators of a new show on Netflix called Go Go Corey Carson. Now, full disclaimer, I worked on this show, but I can safely promise that you're going to love it. Uh, you can watch the first season now on Netflix, and then watch that over and over until March 1st when the second season comes out. Now, getting to sit down and talk shop at length with Alex and Stanley is a highlight for me, especially as an aspiring storyteller. For any of you listening that are interested in what it takes to tell a good story or even pitch an idea, I believe you're in for a treat. Getting to hear from two people who are at the absolute top of their craft, have a genuine love for it, and yet want to continue pushing themselves as storytellers and filmmakers. Give the cast a listen. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So yeah, I'm really excited to have you guys here, and you know we've we've actually worked really closely together on a little show called uh, Go Go Corey Carson, uh, which is now available to see on Netflix. At least a few episodes uh, at the time of this recording. I was wondering if we can maybe just jump into it. Absolutely. And talk a little bit about well, Cuckoo Studios. Um, maybe we can learn a little bit more about about that. You guys are, you know, yeah. Maybe just tell tell everybody here how Cuckoo came to be. Well, uh, I had I had been at Pixar for about ten years. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I worked on Ratatouille. It was my first film, and my last one was Finding Dory. Um, and after spending about ten years at that studio, um, I was sort of ready for something else, like a new challenge. Um, I had a great time there. I learned so much. The people are so talented. Uh, I made such great friends there, uh, and the films that I worked on were just so incredible. Um, but yeah, near the end of my career there, I just. Uh, I saw the landscape and the industry sort of changing with Netflix um, and the move towards streaming and Netflix was greenlighting all these originals. And I just thought if, if there is a time to try something new, like now is the time to do it. Um, and I knew I couldn't do it alone. So uh, I had worked with Stanley on Finding Dory for about three years during that production. And uh, we were great friends even before working on that film, but on that film, Whenever they put us together on a sequence, there was some sort of magic creative chemistry going on because everything we did together just, you know, it like, you know, brought the it brought the house down, or there would be barely like barely any notes that we would get from the director, and it go straight through to production. So I just thought, oh, there's something there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Alex, that's how you feel. <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh um, man! So you love me? I do. Yeah, I do love you. <laughs> so yeah, so I thought like, oh, I think Stanley would be a great creative partner to try and um, you know build a studio and and to, to create projects together with. And so I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, 
do you want to try this crazy thing with me <laughs> and start a company? And much to my surprise, he, uh, he agreed. <laughs> yeah, it was a surprise to me too. I mean, as a story artist, we, we both come from the story department at Pixar. And as story artists, there's, you know, a good amount of grumbling and complaining that just naturally happens. That's how you make something better. You watch it and then you say, oh, this could be better. That could be better. And you try to break something apart. And in a day of just average complaining, I was like, we should try this idea. I wish we could try this other idea. And Alex was like, we should leave to go try our own idea. And I was like, whoa, this just went from average complaining to something very real that set my life on a new track. And um, after thinking about it, we got really excited about the, the idea of telling our own stories. And we just thought, this is the time to do it in our life. And stories are passing us by all the time. And while I loved so much about that time at Pixar, I wasn't able to really mine stories from my own life and share them as much as empower someone else to build their stories. And um, both are great things, but we just felt like this was the time to try to go find some stories to tell on our own. Yeah, and uh, so knowing that both Stanley and I are primarily creatives, I knew that we needed uh, somebody who was responsible, who's going to be an adult <laughs> in the room. And so I was good friends with Tim. Tim had been there for about five years in production. Um, and Tim is just an incredibly bright person, really responsible, really hardworking, and just loves the medium of film, and he loves collaboration, he loves being creative, or working with creative people. And so I thought he would be the perfect person to help us um, produce our work. So I tapped him on the shoulder and asked him if he'd be interested in joining us. And uh, again, much to my surprise, he was, he was game. So the three of us left in, at the end of 2015 uh, and started the company January, I think, 2nd or 4th, I think it was the Monday. Yeah, on, something uh, like that. 2016. Yeah. And uh, it's been you know, a little over four years now. Yeah, for about two years, we described ourselves as a fake company. It was just the three of us. And we left with not very much. And people said, oh, do you guys have ideas for films or series one year? Yeah, or do you have a deal with another studio? And we, we said no. Like, we should have. Those sound like good things to have. <laughs> like, ideas and, and um, yeah, partnerships. And then we just sort of started from scratch and tried to come up with ideas, as many ideas as we could in those first two years for feature films and for episodic series for all different age ranges. And then a few of them stood out to us as something we really got excited about and wanted to try. So we put together pitches, took those down to LA and did the song and dance and tried to sell something. And about a year in, I wondered if we would ever sell anything. And I thought, hey, maybe this is, this is just for us. We're just gonna, you know, board some episodes that are really great and no one will ever see them or hear them. And then something clicked, and uh, we've been so honored to get a show out into the world just this last January. Well, I was going to say, leading up to all of this, uh, this, this might answer how the name Cuckoo even, the name Cuckoo was even uh, decided on. But was that actually something that you guys had named before you went out, or just? Um, it was when we were when we were creating the company. We, yeah. you know, we needed to register the company. Mm -hmm. I, I had been working on a short about cuckoo clocks in my own time, and so that word was sort of in my my mind. Um, I thought it was just a fun word that you know sounded nice with you know you have the, the ooh ooh in the studio, so it just there was a kind of like a, a rhythm there. But more than anything, yeah, I think what we did was a little crazy. It was a little cuckoo, so um, we just thought it was an appropriate name. 
and it just stuck. Yeah. So. Funny story of Tonka starting out is I think they went some time before they even realized, oh, we should actually have a business license. So I feel like every studio starting out has a few missteps. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you when you have artists starting your company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need our Tims and Zens. And yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people, myself included, like there, there's that we can live kind of vicariously through this the decision that you guys made and you know I certainly coming from uh, YouTube which um, before Tonko House YouTube is all about empowering creatives to put whatever content they want out there make whatever you want the platform is there so that that's very empowering but at the same time you know you guys are also dealing with the realities of trying to put out a show and sell the idea but at the same time you know this is the big step. You can tell any story that you want to. I'm curious how it did arrive the Go Go Corey Carson. Yeah, that's a great question. So it wasn't the, you know, the first project we developed, but it was, so it was actually a partnership with a company called VTech. One of my family friends is the CEO and the founder of that company. Uh, my family, I went to high school in Hong Kong. Um, my family's originally from there. Um, we have a lot of roots in that, in that country, cities state <laughs> special administrative region it's called <laughs> so yeah he um he's a family friend of mine and he found out that we were starting a, a studio and he was really interested in getting into animation and as a toy company i think a lot of these toy companies they want to get into content creation um, because it's a way to boost the visibility of their um, of their toy properties and increase engagement with their uh, with their core consumers he approached us and said hey would you uh, be interested in making a show based off of one of our toy properties and so at first we were like mm, i don't know it's a, we didn't leave pixar to, to to create shows based off of toys but when we saw the property uh, we got really excited because it was kind of a blank slate like the, so the toy line is called gogo smart wheels and it's a bunch of vehicle types like trucks ambulances you know police cars race cars uh, and then all these like um all these tracks that you can customize and build, but they didn't have any characters. They were just sort of archetypes of vehicles. And so the slate was kind of blank for us. And um, the designs were actually somewhat appealing. I mean, you know, we, we felt like we could increase the appeal, but um, there was a nice sort of chunkiness that was built into the design aesthetic. And so we thought, hey, we could actually build something really great. Stanley and I sort of mulled it over, and when we thought about making, we looked at actually the, the, the landscape of vehicle character-based shows. Almost all of them focused on adult characters and adult cars with adult problems, and none of them had a kid car with kid problems. And so we thought, oh, that's actually a unique angle, and that's a reason to actually tell you know, these kind of stories. We sort of took out uh, family albums uh, from when we were a kid, and we looked at all of our photos from when we were like you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, and we thought, oh, this is great. Like, if we could create a show that captures like the essence of childhood, uh, that would be something I would want to watch, you know, as an adult, as a, as a lover of, of film and television. And uh, that's what we landed on, was like trying to create a show that captured that feeling of what it was like to be a kid, um, just in the packaging of a car and a vehicle world. Yeah, I mean, when you hear about a preschool show based on a toy line with little plastic cars, it sounds like a horrible show, actually. And I like would understand how like people listening are like, what? Like this is an artistic endeavor that you guys took on? 
But that was one of the things that got us really excited as well. We were like, well, for one, the show should exist because there's not a show about a family of cars and kids love cars. And like, it feels like a no brainer hole in like the demographic of kids content to make something about your little kid car, like Peppa Pig or something like that. Just like, it's just a very basic idea. Yeah, there's also just so many preschool shows that just because of budgetary reasons have to be phoned in or they're, they're done quickly. And we just felt like, like this show could be really good. Like even though it sounds really bad, like what if you took that idea that sounds bad, but just poured your heart and soul into it and tried to make it the best show that you could. And that got us really excited. And when we were bringing on teams and recruiting, we were telling them like, we know it sounds like it wouldn't be that much fun to work on, but it's gonna be a good show. And our goal is that you're gonna love it as much as the preschool kids that we make it for. And there's some people who were like, nah, I don't do preschool. And they sort of turned us down. And then some people got excited who had never done uh, preschool. They had come from features and they were like, that makes sense, that could be good. Let's make it as good as we can. And it was a really exciting time to try to figure out, can we make a preschool show that we really enjoy watching? Was the artistic challenge we faced. Yeah, I have to admit, um, I was one of those persons when <laughs> Dice was, uh, he, he said, you know, I ran into him and he said, you know, let's, let's have some coffee. And, and he said, uh, you know, so Tonka House is growing and, um, you know, we have this show that our, you know, our friends are working on. And he said, it's got, He's like, wait for it. He goes, wait for it. It's got cars in it. And I just immediately thought, oh man, really? Yeah. <laughs> Are Pixar to make more cars? <laughs> and then he yeah. said, but listen, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the, the pitch that these guys put together. And I, to use car references, I made a complete U-turn. It was, you know, I saw the, saw the pitch and it has hit all, hit all those points that you guys are talking about. Just something that hadn't really been done in that sort of that realm, you know, preschool shows, and you know, I'm a father of two kids that throughout the course of this, um, you know, we're preschool aged and uh, watching the kind of shows that they watch, they're the things where, you know, you put them on as basically like babysitters, like right. yeah. uh, put it on in the room, but I'm, I'm leaving the room, like they'll, yeah. they'll be fine. It's nothing bad, but it's also nothing good. Right. And then it really engages everybody. And yeah. even though these are very child based, uh, experiences and it's from a child's perspective, there's something very appealing to, to you know, full families where, you know, and not, not just children, not just preschoolers. I've heard from dads who, you know, they, they've watched this with their fifth grade kid. Yeah. You know, it's, it That's really right. is appealing to, you know, many ages. Yeah. That, that was our goal. I mean, I think a lot of preschool content from our research, um, you know, understandably focuses on um, curriculum based content. Um, you know, so they, they focus a lot on education and sort of sort of hard education. And I think there's that's totally understandable and there's definitely a place for that because it's sure you know, you want your young children to be learning as they're consuming any kind of content or media. But what we got really excited about, I mean, first of all, we don't have any kind of background in that kind of approach to content. You know, what our background is in it's in story and character, right? So um, we wanted to bring that kind of experience that we developed at Pixar into the preschool space. And we hadn't really seen it done before. And so we got really excited about you know, trying it, seeing if it could work. And I think our end goal was to make it a co-viewing and sort of a family viewing experience. And uh, I think the way that we did that was every adult has been a kid before. <laughs> um, and so we tried to tap into that universal experience. 
um, that everybody's gone through and uh, just try and make uh, or build the stories around that kind of authentic you know experience you know all of our stories come from us thinking about when we were kids like oh you remember like when you were a kid, your like little sibling would always copy you, and it'd be so annoying. <laughs> like that came from actually um, one of our story managers, uh, Hope, and we we're like, "Oh, that's a great idea for an episode," and we built an entire episode around that. And it's one of the funniest ones because it comes from you know a very real place. Um, and when people watch that episode, they can totally relate to it mm -hmm. because you know if they've had siblings or if they had, they've had friends, you played the copy game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, remember when you peed on yourself? <laughs> There's a oil spill. <laughs> yeah. So I have a more questionable past. Than no. <laughs> Were you relating to the uh, to Corey's experience or or Carly the her? That's not. <laughs> well, I also just going back to the pilot. Something that you know resonated with me was even the you know you're still able to get the parents' perspective in there, and I know there are a couple episodes that you know take different vantage points. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what went into developing that pitch because, you know, for me, uh, watching that, I, I hadn't worked in animation yet. And I, but I saw that and thought, that's, that's how you sell a pitch. That, that has got everything. I want to see this whole show. And, you know, you have, you have the animatic and then there's a one minute fully produce um, CG yeah. uh, just to show like the look and feel of the world before it goes back to the animatic. But the whole thing still plays seamlessly through. Yeah. You know, you're there experiencing it. Yeah. And at the very end, you know, you experience the emotions that the mother has, you know, walking away. And yeah. um, that was something that now I've kind of experienced a full life cycle of that where, you know, it's seeing it as a pitch that affected me and said, I, that, that was the 180 moment for me. I, I want to work on that show. Yeah. Not just for the beautiful one minute CG. Yeah. It, it, the whole thing was, this is, this speaks to everybody. And then seeing that in like, the full life cycle where, you know, we watched it at the, at the rap party and you can feel the audience kind of, you can hear some of the, some of the parents starting to tear up at the end. And this is just the very first episode. Yeah. Let's talk about it. How did you guys do that? How did you come up with that, you know, that episode? And, you know, you talk about working really well off each other and yeah. really being able to, you know, bring the house down. And yeah. what, what was that process like working on, you know, this is something that we're going to be behind you know, creating an entire yeah. season around? It's a great question. Well, I would say, first of all, Stanley is an incredible pitcher. That's one of our secret weapons <laughs> is uh, Stanley can pitch like nobody I've ever seen before. So uh, I think a lot of the emotion that you felt in that pitch comes from his performance and his ability to tap into people's, his own emotions and then the audience resonate with uh, the emotional connection that he's feeling to the characters in the moments that they're in. Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. Oh, no, that's fine. I'm, in a, I'm an emotionally unstable person. <laughs> Make it be known to all the podcast viewers. I mean, um, I mean, in anything to get emotion, like, it's to the point that Alex said, that we look for honest moments in our real life and we try to put it into the work. And it's what you guys do so well here at Taka House. And it's what all great artists do or like in all great art it's something that's a real conviction that you put into the work and that's what we knew we wanted to do with the show and we didn't know what those convictions were going to be when we set out to do it but we knew we wanted to pull from our own personal lives and what's really fun about the show is that we had people working on it who were digging deep into their childhood and then also like half the crew was digging in or maybe not half because we got a young crew but there is a, a few of us who are our parents and at that point where we do have young kids and 
going to preschool for the first time. So we were also digging. So while we were putting that pitch together, we were equally remembering what is it like to be at school for the first time and how did that feel? And that was scary. So we did this whole Corey's point of view thing. But then at the same time, I had just dropped off my son at preschool, was thinking about that world. And my wife had just had a baby and we were moving into that zone of our life and feeling those emotions of like the fear of, of your child growing up, but then also wanting to encourage them to go on that path. And just the, um, the bittersweet nature of a child growing up is something that um, as soon as you have your child, you start to see. It's like they need you, but then you're trying to empower them to you know, walk on their own and walk away from you. It was just something that we felt like was right for the show and was, again, one of the things that we felt like we hadn't seen. We hadn't seen a show in the preschool space about the family, and we were trying to make Mama and Papa real characters. And these little moments that our story team brought to the episode where it's like, you ready for this? And Papa's like, <laughs> no. You know, and we're like, oh yeah, that's how it feels to be a parent along yeah. the sidelines of that. And um, something that we just, we're always looking for those moments of like, all right, this is Corey's story most of the time, but how do we make mom and papa feel real and what are they feeling on the sidelines of that story? Yeah, and then in that moment that you're talking about, it, it's unconventional. We just sort of like popped out to mom's point of view and we know like story structure wise, this is actually a bit odd to do in a story like that, but it just was a moment that we felt like was honest and was a part of that experience. And this is one of the things that we can give to parents so that they have something to watch, you know, in this episode as well. That's something that just working, you know, you're t you talked about at the beginning, Alex, that you're feeling like we're at a different age of, or a different period of what kind of content we're putting out and, and um, maybe even the kinds of stories that we're telling. Family values and that sort of perspective is yeah. not anything new, but telling it in this way where you're saying that you're popping out into unconventional like points of view or kind of s switching things up, is that kind of, are you able to do that because of where we're at with you know working with platforms like Netflix and yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, I don't have a point of reference because, uh, you know, I've never worked on a preschool show before with somebody else. My only experience is, you know, being at Pixar. You know, I think they were experimenting all the time with um, pushing the boundaries and the limits of what you could do yeah. with film and, and, and storytelling in film. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that question. I think it was just, it was something that we felt like the story warranted this switch in point of view in that like, you know, in that last minute or so, and it seemed to work. So we just went with it. <laughs> I guess if I can be more laser focused with my question, the grumbling that you guys did at your last job on the sidelines, yeah. do you find that there's still a lot to grumble about with, you know, story like, oh, the second act could be so much better. Or is it like, well, it's up to us now. And now it's a different it's... type of grumbling for sure. Yeah, Alice is just smiling really big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the you know, one. you used to be able to grumble and then say like, whatever, let's go play ping pong. <laughs> you know, that was sort of like my experience of ping pong sometimes. Is that like, you could then just go like, well, I wanted to try these things, but that's about my pay grade. So, uh, you know, like you just do what you can do and then sort of can separate from that. Here, it definitely does, you know, lie on us. Like, if there's something that we think could make that story better, like, if it can fit within our production schedule, we try to do it, and it's on us to do it. And the only thing holding us back besides budget is our own 
laziness in a way like so it's like get rid of laziness and just try to make it the best that we possibly can yeah there's definitely an ownership that we we've taken on here but the grumbling and all that i think that just happened that that is being in many ways an artist or i, I can only speak from being just like a story artist in that part of the process i don't know if you feel the same way as a biz dev artist but there's always something right that you're feeling that could be a little bit better and I think that desire, like you, it could be grumbling, which maybe has a negative context, but just that desire to make something better and like yeah. see something like, oh wait, that I'm unhappy with that piece of it, and then go back and, and try to fix it. That's what all of our story reviews are, and it's constructive grumbling of like, eh, I'm not enjoying that part of it, and it's like, that's great. All right, what are you not enjoying about it? Let's get to the core of it, and then try to fix that and make it better. Does that still work? And that process of always feeling like there's like another mountain to climb or another way to make it better is, is what I love about stories. It's very exciting and personalities conflicting and then coming to a better answer. And me and Alex have argued many, many times and will continue to argue in the future. But we know that it's from a respect of trying to make something better. And um, we each are bringing something that we care about and it's like jazz or something <laughs> it's like different ideas coming to a head and then like uh forming something yeah new. forming something new yeah i love that i've been using the jazz <laughs> reference uh, in our own work <laughs> yeah on our team yeah each person has a different way of improvising and it's yeah. really more in the spirit of the the overall the overall piece i wanted to know a little bit more about that CG segment, but also you're touching on something Stanley I want to get back to, which is that the room full of artists and story artists wanting to make things better. Put a pin in that. But um, but I did want to know a little bit about this process working with, you know, to get that CG bit made. I think a lot of people would be curious, hey, I want to pitch something. How do I how do I make something that has that really nice polished bit of content to really sell the look and feel of something? Um, because we're also yeah. not all great pitchers like you, Stanley, we might want to rely on some art. How did that come to be? I mean, we worked with an incredible team. So Yuri Lotan is um, a friend of Stanley's and they went to school together. He is sort of a, a jack of all trades and yeah. master of all as well. <laughs> He's uh, fantastic. He's actually helping us direct some episodes right now. Which, yeah. uh, so he was working in the feature industry, I think down at Sony for a little while. And then he moved back to Israel, which is where he's originally from, to be close to the family. And he was open to doing freelance work. And you know, we decided to do what we call a proof of concept just because we felt like, you know, if you just pitch the idea with like a log line of like, hey, this is a, sh a preschool show about a, you know, a kid car who lives in a vehicle world. It's not very compelling. Right, the, what's compelling about the show, uh, at least from my point of view, is the the artistry with which we execute it and the storytelling. And so you can't, you can you can say, oh, it's going to have great artistry and it's going to have great storytelling, but that's but easy to say. Everybody probably everybody says, says that in the outline media. It's not like, well, the show's going to be, you know, one of your like run of the mill. <laughs> Yeah, folded yeah, in shows. So, um, you know, I'm one of those people that it's like, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Mm -hmm. So you just got to show people, show rather than tell. It's always more powerful. So I, I was trying to find a way that we could demonstrate tangibly what this 
the value that this show was going to bring to the space. And the only re way to do that was to create this, you know, one minute proof of concept. Um, because we felt like that's where our strengths lie, is like really in the artistry and in the storytelling. Um, we could show that only by actually creating a piece of film. So we reached out to Yuri and said, you know, hey, we want to partner with you to like make this one minute proof of concept. Are you open to it? Uh, do you think you could build a team and we could work together uh, to produce it? And he was he was up for it a couple months later, you know, after a lot of toil and sweat. And he did a great job. Yeah. Like fully brought the world two to months, life. Two months for that entire... That whole piece took about two to three, three months, months yeah. I think, to put together. Yeah. Yuri did a fantastic job. And then probably like the story process of putting together a pitch was about a, a month or so, mm -hmm. a month or two. Well, it was quicker than some of our like features that we developed. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, for a television show, I think, we develop both features and TV shows and features take a little longer because the, the, the complexity of the story is so much larger. But for this one, we basically boarded out an entire episode, which is about seven minutes long. Um, and then we took a one minute, a chunk of that and then and then gave it to Yuri and then had him produce it. All in all, it was the whole pitch probably took like four to yeah. five months to put together. Sure. Like we said earlier, we left Pixar with very little in hand. Right. Um, and including like no director credits other than our student films and we just realized like when we were sort of talking to friends who had left and they, you know, were already in the outside world and were in LA trying to make it happen and had shows going. A lot of people said, when you're pitching an idea, you just need a log line. Like they see pitches all the time. You don't need to put that much into it. But for us, we just felt and like much by like Alex's conviction, which was to do the show, don't tell that they don't know us from anyone else as we walk into this room so we need to try to sell them on the fact that hey we're story artists we've never directed before but we can make a tv show that you want to watch so our thinking is that when we've gone into a pitch it's the same one that i have when i walk into a story pitch when i walk into a story pitch i try to put up boards that are as close to watching the movie as possible so i'm trying to draw the shots the way they'll be staged in camera trying to get the acting to be convincing and then trying to do like sound effect pacing like character acting that makes it feel like you're watching the movie and it was the same we felt like we had the same convictions when we walked in to do these pitches down in LA we're like let's give them the experience that they just watched an episode of our show or watch the entire feature film for our feature film pitches actually and try to get as close to that as possible so that when they walk out they're like well this movie is a real movie and I felt something and it's gonna get made with or without me so like I need to try to buy it or someone else is going to so we felt like because we had such a big hurdle with this uh, with the TV show to prove someone that a, a show about plastic cars could look good. <laughs> We're like, the only way to do that, Alex was convinced, was to do the proof of concept. And I think without it, we the show would have never existed. Yeah, it played through into our role on the on production as well. Like, yeah. you guys said, all right, now go ahead and develop the look and feel of the world. Like, it's done. Yuri <laughs> knocked out of the park. And all we really can, all we can do at this point is, is plus it, which we were really happy to, you know, attempt to do. Oh man, you guys yeah. plus it like <laughs> so much, so much. Yeah, when we look back to the group council, we're like, Yuri did an amazing job, but like, whoa, like, he <laughs> went a long way too. I mean, he had two months. He, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And it's pretty amazing, really. It's, yeah. And I think even throughout the first season, we were still trying to figure out, man, how do we how do we catch up to some of the stuff he was doing in the hills? And, yeah. I mean, so the thing about the previous concept is that he poured him and his animation team that he assembled poured so much love into every frame, and we didn't have that time on right. the on the show. Like yeah. we would get a you know a hundred shots to us delivered for an episode of the show, and then we have to approve 75 of them instantaneously, right. is the rule of production. And you know, in feature, we're used to having five passes on every single shot, and you can give as many notes as you want. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about that proof of concept is, um, I think there's three shots in it, and every single shot was, the set was custom built for the shot, which is what, kind of what you do in feature, but for television, you don't have that kind of luxury or schedule or budget. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the strength of the proof of concept is, is how specific each shot is. All the compositions are tailored for where the camera is. Mm -hmm. I think you did an amazing job with um, the lenses, mm -hmm. you know, to create that miniaturized feel. Yeah. I mean, it was a great foundation to build off of, yeah. but you guys built off of it in an, in an incredible way. I mean, beyond our wildest imagination. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely something to go from not knowing even what shot based versus you know like more of a TV like yeah. set based uh, production that learning that difference was one of the first things I learned when I came on the job and then from there it was very hands on and then uh, and then building out from there yeah. um, and like hearing you talk about things like lenses and those sort of shot specific moments um, learning all those differences is I'm sure something that people are going to be very curious to know more about yeah um, and you're talking a little bit about about it too Stanley that when you board you like to show very closely what it might look like in camera and you're thinking about the limitations of camera and, and a real set I've noticed that you don't hold each story artist to that standard though I mean not that it's a standard but that approach you're also entitling different artists to bring their kind of taste and what they're good at to um, to the show, just to name a few people that I really admire, like Tyler is one who, you know, they're not really camera specific, but there's more of a flavor to the show that's really great. Also going back to the thing um, you are talking about earlier about having a lot of different artists in the room that are all not grumbling, but just wanting to make it better and, you know, really put that personalized stamp on it. For you guys, what is that? What's that process like? There was a decision to, to, to make it that way. That's definitely a culture that you guys cultivated. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to our belief that animation and filmmaking is really a team sport, that the sum is greater than the individual parts. And so we, we really value great ideas and th those great ideas can come from anywhere and anyone. And so we tried to create an environment uh, after you pitch a, uh, an episode anybody can raise their hand and say, well, I didn't like this, or this didn't work for me, I was confused here. Because ultimately, that's what the audience is gonna be feeling. Sure. And so it's really uh, beneficial for us to get that information mm -hmm. early on so we can address it the best way that we can in the time that we have. I think that's where it really stemmed from is this, you know, this philosophy that uh, it's a team sport and we, we need each other to make it right. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you're when you're building out a team, you don't want just one type of player, you know. Like you can't have you know 
Murray the Bay here. Like, you can't have the Warriors and just have a bunch of Steph Currys. That would actually be pretty awesome. But, <laughs> but like, he, we need some other people. We need people who are taller than Steph Curry on the team, you know? Like, some, like, great defensive players as well. So, um, that's the same thing with the story team. Like, everybody's bringing something different. Like, the way me and Alex bring different sensibilities. We love completely different movies. We have overlap of similar movies that we love as well. But then Alex completely loves Roma. I completely love It's a Wonderful Life. Like we both respect the other movies, but then we bring these different sensibilities to the projects that we work on. And I think that just helps to make the content something that lots of different audience members can latch on to who are all different and come from different walks of life. So it's been fantastic. Like the story team is has a huge variety of people who care about wildly different things. There's a process of trying to keep that all feeling like one show. It's been really exciting. Or even in the process in the middle, like all of our artists are like in one room together and we hear that like when somebody who maybe isn't as good at comedy is struggling, they'll turn around and be like, hey, what do you guys think? Like, does anybody have a joke for this? And there's just a lot of collaboration and it's been a really great process. I mean, this was our first stint into the uh, the board-driven process, actually. Like, coming from feature, we always worked in scripts. So, in feature film, you get, you know, a script that is more or less oftentimes locked on, on the films that I was on, where you'd get, like, you know, a five-page script for a five-minute scene, and uh, you board the pages, and you can find little things to embellish. Um, but mostly, you're a cinematographer, an animator, bringing the pages to life, and, like, modern studio, I feel like. What we're excited about in television is that a lot of shows work on a treatment sort of structure. So we write a one-page treatment for a seven-page episode that does not have all the details of what's going to happen in that episode, and then we give it to the artist and the artist gets to write it. And it created a space where artists got to own episodes and were really responsible. In the same way we moved into a, an area where we were more responsible for the show, we tried to empower our story artists to be responsible for the episodes. In many ways, they were the directors coming up with the moments, the ideas, the actual dialogue, and then pitching that. It's a very exciting process. It's a, it's a scary process for the story artists, actually. Yeah. To be given that much power is... It's a lot more to wear on a weekly basis to go home and like be showering, thinking about like how is this gonna be funny? I have five days to make this this like episode really funny, and I don't think the treatment's that good, you know. <laughs> like I've got to like rewrite this whole thing. But when you succeed as a story artist who's telling a story and pouring yourself into it, it's like the most rewarding high I feel like you can feel like in in that sort of space because live or fail is completely resting on their shoulder and when they like pitch something and the whole room's cracking up and we're clapping and we've got to stop the pitch because everybody's laughing too much i mean that's like a great feeling yeah. to chase and for us as directors it's really fun because we give our artists so much freedom to explore with the episodes that i never know what's gonna happen on like a thumbnail pitch i'm like we'll see we wrote something but who knows like tyler might completely blow it up you know and come with something new and uh, it's very exciting and I never felt that level of excitement actually in really tight script-driven shows because the director knew what was coming more or less sure. so they would maybe have like a chuckle or there'd be little moments of amusement mm -hmm. but it wasn't the way it is in TV where I just feel like I get slapped in the face with new ideas all the time and it's 
it's very exciting in that way. And I have to say that that philosophy or that approach that you guys have also carries into art where we'll see little moments where, you know, how can we, well, we'll yeah, start totally. asking, can we even plus some of the visual comedy or just have something in there and you guys are, you know, very open to, to hear. and it's also, you know, if we can get the room to laugh too, then that's also a very good feeling. Yeah. And, yeah. and then some of those things actually make it into the show as well. One was the uh, the coldest snack in the, yeah. uh, the motor story. Hey, it was, like, it was just a pound of Dutton over yeah. here. I made oh. it. And then I thought, you know, just, just to get the room to laugh. And But then it actually made it, it was yeah. referred to in the show. And I thought, that's great. <laughs> I mean, that's what you want, right? I mean, yeah. that's, you want uh, everybody to be contributing to the ultimate, like the final product yeah. um, in any way that they can. And that can come from story, that can come from art, that can come from production, that can come from animation, modeling team. I mean, Down to post, we've been like, like the very last step of sound design, we're still looking for laughs. Like we're, we're in there with our sound designer and I'm like, what if, what if the car is like honked here or something, you know? Like, and let's use a horn like to try to get like more flavor to the wild playground of speed limits. And then we like put that in and it's like, oh, that is funnier and we're getting a laugh where we did it. Yeah. It's a very collaborative sport. Yeah. I need to correct myself earlier. I oh. said uh, the phrase I was trying to allude to was the, the whole is greater than some of the individual parts. And I think I said, Something like this sum is greater than the individual parts, which doesn't make sense. None of us study. <laughs> but um, yeah, adding. Yeah, but no, you you mentioned that with uh, the sound design, and it was a, it was a, a bigger moment. But when Hallie introduces herself, right. and this kind of goes back to you know recalling her own childhood too. I remember sitting with the box fan. Yeah. So for but anybody who hasn't seen the the show, Hallie is a, she's a helicopter. And she introduces herself and spins her her uh, propeller yeah. blades in front of her face in a way that makes the voice kind of eh sound. Yeah. What kid hasn't put a box fan in front of himself and like pretend they're on an airplane and, yeah. and speaking right into that? So just those little moments that it's it's not the it's not the whole show, but it's it's just little you're just peppering the yeah. these little moments. In well, those are, that's 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 great character stuff. Yeah. right? I mean that's the stuff we talk about of like thinking back to our childhood, remembering things that we did and then trying to put that into the show. Yeah, um, yeah that was Jason and He did a pass. So me and Alex boarded that first episode, put it together for a pitch. But then when we put it into the show, the show actually in the process of, of writing it and digging into it, sort of aged itself off a little bit. Corey got a little bit older and we're like, oh, like, we wanted to have more comedy in the show and just find more of an edge so that we could bring in fifth graders to the yeah. show and things like that. Yeah. And doing that, like the, the original pitch was a little bit stale, so we handed it off to Jason Heaton, who's one of our story artists, now also turned director. And um, he did this pass, and every time I laugh in that first episode, it's things he added. It's that, yeah. it's a uh, It's the, are you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, want to go to a different school? Yeah, let's go to a different school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This whole little layer of character. And okay. That's the, the best thing about animation that I love is that each step of the way, there's just like one extra pass. Like everyone's bringing something, as we said. And it's, uh, it's, it's great to see like when, when you get to the end and it just becomes a real thing out in the world. It looks like something that was thought of all at once, but really it was 
failure after failure and trial after trial and making it better and better and only one thing was good at the beginning you know and then we we make it funnier and the first time we wrote the scene mr train was actually just a semi truck at a stoplight and then we're like well how do we make this more engaging we don't want to just be at this stoplight but let's make a train let's have it keep going and then we came up with that joke of like it looks like we're all left you know these things just sort of come alive as you're making them and that excitement of like not knowing what you're about to pitch but this happens all the time in the story where we're like I, what if they said this and i don't know what you're gonna we don't know what we're gonna say and then you just spill and then like the the mr train scene as is was just something that like in a riff session we like pitched exactly like that and then it was like oh that's actually we should write that down yeah, <laughs> you know that's great and I then it becomes a moment you know and i love that it also be, in an episodic format it becomes like that kind of recurring yeah. gag too yeah yeah you know he's realizing it for the first time every time <laughs> like, like, how yeah. have you been doing this job you know this is coming up yeah, for some so reason so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love Mr. Train. Well, it's funny. Well, so the the actor who does it, Bob Barnes, is uh, every time we go into one of these recording sessions, he's he just knows that's what he has to hit. <laughs> he's never going to be able to finish his story. Simplest job ever. Like, All right, where's my left turn? <laughs> okay. Exactly. There was another. Oh man, I, I had it on the tip of my tongue, but. Uh, well, I actually compare him to, um, he's kind of like the, sort of like the Mr. Wilson moment. For yeah. Moment <laughs> yeah. That's some of the, some of the fun stuff that comes out of, you know, working with different artists and different story artists and they're adding that kind of layer to the, to the cake. Um, I imagine it's a little harder with the script driven process, but is there still room for that? Or I guess what maybe taking me through some of the pros and cons of working in with different, those two different approaches. And is it really strictly those two approaches? Yeah, I mean, I would say when you're working on a feature film and something that's much longer format, it's very hard to not have a script because, um, you know, the length of the story is so much longer. Um, you have multiple people working on the same story. Um, there's usually multiple subplots. So all of these things have to interweave with one another. So if you just gave people like, an outline. That movie's not gonna make sense. Yeah, it would just be <laughs> complete chaos and incoherent, <laughs> right? So but like with, with the Go-Go show, the reason we can do that is because each episode is self-contained. So you give that to one artist, it's seven minutes long. Um, that's really manageable. It's almost like basically boarding a sequence in a feature. Um, but because, you know, a feature film is essentially a, a serialized episodic story, essentially, um, all these things have to weave together like fabric. Right. And so uh, that takes a tremendous amount of coordination, and that's why you need a script. That's not to say that you don't have moments within a feature film where you can go off script, um, especially you know a lot of times in the third act when you have a, like a lot of action stuff. You can't. It's really hard to just write it and describe it in text, right. um, and that's when you have usually like a, a story team come together and like just throw out a bunch of ideas because it's really clear you need to get from A to point A to point B and then you just throw a bunch of obstacles in front of that character. But um, for the most part, I'd say like, you know, for the first and almost all of the second act and then probably the very end of the third act, that needs to be very deliberately crafted um, to work. Yeah. I imagine this depends on the director too, but things like, you know, Stanley, you're, you're saying you're, you're very much thinking about camera. Uh, so you might have a script, but then is that that's still very much in your hands? What sort of camera angles you're playing with as you're boarding out a scripted sequence? I guess what I'm wondering is, um, 
how do you bring your sort of flavor or perspective to those to those moments? And just as one example I bring up is, you know, you guys brought on Eric Benson for the first season of Go Go Corey Carson. He very much brought his perspective and, yeah. and sense of humor. I guess how do those individual strengths, how does a studio or, or a movie with a very, you know, complex script, how are they able to bring out the best in or what people really are yeah. doing? It's a great question. I think you know, I think it's it really rests on the director of the you know the feature film or of a project is to outline what the the overarching goal mm -hmm. uh, of the characters is, what the overarching sort of vision for the story is and for the mm -hmm. film, um, but leave enough room for people to take that in and then go, oh, this is my take on that, or this is how I envision a character achieving these goals right. or overcoming these obstacles. Yeah, I know it's a very vague sort of answer, but it's a tough, I think that's how you do it. It's like you cast the vision and you, you leave enough room for people to, to input themselves yeah. into that vision. Yeah, um, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as a story artist, whenever I would get a script, I would, First, try to figure out, all right, how can I sell what's here in the pages as best as possible? And you do a bunch of thumbnails, or I shoot it from this point of view, or actually I could be with this character for this moment, this is a really important story moment, or this scene is a lot like the scene at the beginning of the movie, let me try to shoot it in a similar way, but then change it halfway through the scene. And you'll, you'll just start thinking about all these different camera possibilities, acting possibilities, should this character what is this character actually thinking while they're saying this? And can I give some subtext in the performance? And as a story artist, you are an actor, a cinematographer, a lighter sometimes, if you're really getting in there and working on your boards. And you're just basically a director on that sequence. But a lot of times, if I, there was something that didn't ring true to me, like that was in the pages, it depended on how comfortable I was with the director. If I'd been on the show for a long time, maybe I'll just go off script and try something and know that like our schedule will allow me to put back in what's in the pages. But generally what I would do as a safety is that I would board sequences as they were in the script and then I would include a section at the end of my pitch called alts and I'd be like, thought of some extra fun ideas. I wouldn't say like, the script isn't funny, but I would just be like, clearly I think it's not funny enough if I'm coming up with other ideas yeah. and drawing them, you know? And then be like, well, this could happen, neither is better, you know? Like, like obviously, if I'm going to spend all that time drawing it, I think like there's something to the other yeah. idea. Or my head of story would be like, hey, I think there's something, like, Max Brace was, like, um, I had a story on Finding Dory, and he would be, like, pushing me, like, hey, I think you could get more ideas here. Can you, like, come up with some alts? And uh, that's one of those places where you just have room as a story artist to add and bring your own flavor. And then the one thing about, you know, sort of like the equivalent, like, in the episodic world, because these things stand alone, we would pitch an episode, and then as a story team, we would talk about this episode in its entirety. When you're working on a feature, because all the pieces need to add up, you can't quite review each sequence that way in isolation because you might not understand what's going on in the other in the third act or what the director is actually building in a sequence that you didn't work on so as a story we would all come to the pitches we try to make that pitch funnier or more dramatic or sometimes give ideas but i felt like in that space you'd really let the director build the film as you're building it all out across trying to get reels up but then once the reels were up that's the time it's almost the equivalent to us looking at like a single episode and then the story team can really have at it. I feel like that 
that was the time when we would have the reels up that we could have an, a session with our director and say, I'm not buying this or this motivation is off. I don't feel the character arc. I think that we need to like uphold this. Sometimes we'd pitch massive things as a story mm -hmm. team and the director would go up and think of the way to fix a movie. The story team would be having their own huddles. We would present things to the director. So it's a different form of collaboration. Both of them are, are valid and have their pros and cons. I think, I think it works best when it, to Alex's point that you have a script, it gives you the structure, the bones are there, yeah. but there's room to let, to listen to your team and to your artists and let them own certain sequences. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, the story team really does bring those reels to life and bring, it's like that first injection of life into the film that's in a visual way. You need the team to be convinced and to feel like they're, they have something that they're owning as well. So like when you could give a story artist ownership over a sequence, I've seen those sequences become the best sequences in the film and things that went off script and there was freedom in it. Yeah. It was just stronger than what was ever on the page. Yeah, that's really cool. Now you guys, this last season, you were directing and, and taking on more than just story and you feel like that experience prepared you for things like scoring, composing, sound design, post-production, running a studio. <laughs> Want to talk a little bit about that transition? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I think fortunately we have we had both directed uh, our own student films and right. taken taken them all the way through production. So I I think we were familiar with that pipeline. Um, you know, it had been a long time. I mean, my student film, I finished it in 2003 or four, which is like, yeah, 16 years ago. But the principles have, you know, remained the same. The, the principle is really like, how do I service the story, the needs of the story as best as possible with the, the time and the resources that I have. Mm -hmm. um, so every creative decision in an ideal world is how can I improve the storytelling? Uh, or make the story points clear. With television, you, you have limited time. Like Stanley said, you, you, know, you really only have the ability to, do, to give notes on about 25% of the, of the deliverables. Right. Sometimes you're just uh, you're making the best with, with what's available to you. Right. But the underlying principle is always, how do I service the story in the best way possible? Yeah. Um, um, and I, I would say that that's true even like on like the organizational you know, it's like, you know, running the company, every system we put in place, every decision we put in place, it's really to try and service the, the work and service the, the film or the television show and try and make it uh, the highest quality possible with the limited resources that we have. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the job, at least for me, as like the, you know, the, the CEO of the company is making sure that we align our limited resources in, in a way that's focused and directed towards the end product. Yeah. Um, so It's probably a good time to talk about some of the big things that are on Cuckoo's uh, radar, things yeah. that are coming up. I don't know how much we can talk about, so feel free to stop me wherever you need to. But we are talking a little bit about uh, board-based, script-based. This all seems to implying that there is something script-based in the works. There is, yeah. So we are starting pre-production on an animated feature with Netflix. Uh, we can't say much more than that, but it's going to be good. I mean, it's we gonna be we can say what's in print, <laughs> I think, which we said in other articles, which is that it's a, it's a movie about dreams. Yeah. And we're really excited about 
playing in that world and creating an animated feature in that space. Yeah, sounds very cool. Yeah, yeah, we're very excited. It's our own dream project. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Go, go, Corey Carson, dream project too. <laughs> Anything that you can pour yourself into and have a fun time making is a dream project. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we signed an overall deal with Netflix back in July, sometime in the summer. And so that's basically for the next couple of years, every project that we develop, they have a first look opportunity. Mm -hmm. So um, we're in the process of developing other projects and hopefully they'll like them and they'll green like them and we'll have more projects to work on in the coming years. So those are the two, I think, big developments for our studio. Excellent. This would be a good time to wrap up, but actually maybe just a couple questions that I'm sure our audience would want me to ask is, you know, what advice would you have for them? We have all kinds of listeners in the audience. We have aspiring filmmakers, story artists, but also a lot of visual development people. Yeah. I imagine there's a lot of great nuggets you guys have already dropped about, hey, stories first, think yeah. about story. But yeah. yeah, what sort of advice would you pass on to all of our listeners? Let's say for somebody that wants to pitch uh, an idea. For someone who wants to pitch an idea. Okay, let me do it. I mean, the first thing that I was going to say uh, that came to mind as advice for the Tonka House audience is mm -hmm. to never stop learning. And the fact that you have even listened to this podcast and it's been this long, like uh, right. you're probably one of those people, which is great. I mean, it's the thing that I love about the team at Tonka House is that there's this eternal student attitude and Dyson and Robert, and, like the team here, all you guys are top of the industry and yet you're still pushing it each other every day, trying to learn, trying to grow as artists. I mean, that's, that's the best thing you can do as an artist. Like all the people that I know who are at the best and at the top of the studio, they're the ones still going to drawing class. And I was always amazed, like just that attitude and perseverance. Like some of my mentors, guys like, like Dean Kelly, who's a fantastic board artist. I could never get to work earlier than him. And he has four kids, you know, and like, and he's a fantastic dad. He's not one of those like phoned in dads either. Like, like I hang out with his family, great person, but like not to say he's like a workaholic or something, but he'll like bring, go home on time, spend time with his family. Then when the kids are asleep, he like goes into his like study and starts like thumbnailing a sequence, like for the next day. And just like that attitude and commitment to excellence is, is really important. Like. These, these films are important. Sometimes you only have one shot to make something. These sequences come through and it's only as good as you can make it. And it's this eternal pressure that I feel as an artist or as a leader, this huge responsibility to try to know as much as I can to try to make this gift that we're giving to the world as good as it can be. I really believe in, in the power of film and the power of great content to touch people, to change their lives, to enrich their lives and it rests on us to make it a seamless experience. Like film can break so easily. It's, it's been something that I've, you're always aware of as a student, you like make something, you have this vision, you're like, oh, that doesn't look right, that drawing, you know? Like, and then you get to the part where it's animated. It's like, oh, well, all the drawings are good, but it doesn't feel like it has any weight. And then it just keeps going, you know? And we've worked on episodes and films that have seemed completely broken, but if you just change this one scene, it actually fixes the whole thing. It's, it's always amazing to me, like how subtle yeah. the craft of film is and how easily it can break. Yeah. Sound design is off and the whole thing feels cheap, right. you know? And my, my greatest advice is to 
Just soak in the things that you love and watch them over and over and over and study them and break them down. Like if you love a film, watch it once with the audio off and just look at, all right, when is it cut? When does it cut? All right. Now let me watch it again for iFix. Like, all right, where am I focusing? And then like, where do I look on the next, like when there is a cut, like how does it like shift to the, the focus of the composition in a seamless way? Or is it not seamless to jar me in the, in the sequence? Like watch it for score, watch it for, just read the script of the film that you love. There's, there's so many things to learn and so many ways to learn. And I think that the people who actually get good at things are the ones who take that responsibility on themselves and they don't own it in and say, well, I don't have a great teacher, so it's not fair, you know? There's so many people that I've worked with who have just completely taught themselves. And even going to like a good art school, like no slight to any of my teachers, but teachers only have so, many, so much time with you and they can only teach you so much. But the people who actually learn and grow are the ones who look at their own work, assess it, and then push themselves to get better. And like, I'm always struggling with this and trying to find enough time to still do this in my day to day. But um, that's my, my greatest advice is never stop learning because when you actually get that chance to make something, you're always gonna wish you knew more, <laughs> you know? I'm always coming up against my own limited capabilities and wishing that I could draw a little bit better or knew a little bit more about how to talk about score. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's the thing that makes this job forever exciting and forever <laughs> depressing <laughs> or attractive. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but it's like, for, like a forever pain like, of the artist is that yeah. like, you can always get better. Yeah. But it's also what makes me excited. And when somebody pitches something, like I'll watch a show that's really good, it'll like make me kind of upset, you know? I'll yeah. be like, yeah, this show's so good. <laughs> like, like I want like our show to be that good. And yeah. it's this great, like fun feeling to constantly be striving and trying to build something and make it better and make yourself better. That makes me excited to keep coming to work, I think, for the next 50 years or however <laughs> long I live. <laughs> I used to have the same thing with um, a coworker. Well, Sophia Foster Domino, uh, yeah, yeah. she was on first season as a designer. Uh, but we used to have a routine 2, 2 p.m. depression session where we'd basically like Inevitably, we would start saying, oh, have you heard, heard of so-and-so's work? And we'd pull it up and it'd be so good, amazing and depressing. And then we'd look at the next person and, and, uh, and then it would just kind of go to this like share, like back and forth sharing. And then at the end of it, it'd like, be inspired. Uh, like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100% with everything that Stanley said. I mean, I think my advice would just be to, you have to fall in love with the craft because and don't look to you know external validation um to give you um momentum or to give you motivation because that's a lot of that is out of your control but what what is in your control is you and the work and the relationship that you have with the work and that nobody can ever take that away from you and it's that relationship that you have with the work is going to be your primary relationship for the majority of your life you know so i think you got to fall in love with that yeah. uh, that, that that craft and that relationship of like constantly pushing failing picking yourself back up and doing it again it's, yeah it's, it's what they call grit or perseverance nowadays um, but 
I think really what's underneath that is a love uh, for the work. I mean, you know, everybody always talks about passion, and I think a lot of people think of passion as this really intense emotion, but it's not. I think it's really the ability to suffer. Yeah. You know, like the, because when you are trying to improve uh, and get better at something, you are constantly faced with your own limitations. These dep- these two p.m. depression sessions. I mean, that's a being an artist, uh, or and it's not even just being an artist, being a human being and trying to get better at anything. Yeah. Right. That uh, you're going to be constantly faced with your limitations, your shortcomings, and that is hard, and that causes emotional and psychological suffering. But you need to overcome that um, uh, to to improve and to continue to like push and get better. And so that to me is what passion is: is like the ability to like suffer for the work. Yeah. <laughs> Not the most uplifting no, like <laughs> advice, it. but I think it's very real. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of suffering. <laughs> but then but the joy so on the joy other that, side. Yeah, joy I mean, on the other side is amazing. I mean, it is so deep and fulfilling. All the things that bring the most joy. I mean, I think about my son's birth and like a lot of suffering <laughs> came when my son was being born to my wife and a lot of suffering has happened since. <laughs> and yet still, it is the most joyous aspect of my life and most rewarding thing. Yeah. And anything that's worth it costs something, you yes. know? Like things that are free are usually not that great, you know? Yes, yeah, suffering, I think it builds character. Yeah. So um, that's, you know, I think from like a human standpoint, that's what we what you want, right? You want to become a person of character, mm-hmm. become a person who's like um, a person of virtue. Uh, and those things don't come easily, you have to work at them. I'm really glad you guys both answered the broader version of my question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really amazing. Yeah, you're welcome. And I think that's going to do it for us. I'd like to thank uh, Alex and Stanley for spending this time with me and uh, doing this taco cast. And, thanks, uh, Mike, for interviewing us. Uh, thanks thank for... you for all your amazing, amazing work. I mean, our show. It looks good because of you and your team. We are just so grateful. We are so blown away by your talent, and uh, we are just so uh, honored and humbled to be to be able to work with you and partner with you. So thank you so so much. Thank you so much. It means a lot to hear that. Yeah. yeah thank you, you guys. See you, Taco Cast. Yeah.